Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. The views and opinions expressed by hosts, invited speakers, and callers do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the Black Talk Media Project or the Black Talk Radio Network. Well, some people like to dismiss slavery like it was nothing. But you see, slavery, it can never be forgotten. Some people not gonna like what me say, but me I gonna say it anyway. We are gonna talk about slavery and the effects of it today. Some people just don't want to know about 400 years ago. But the thing about slavery, it's affecting people now. I tell you no lie, when I see a film about Peace, and welcome to the Abolitionist Daily. This is Johanna Nelaya, host, part of the New Abolitionist Movement, also a co-host on the weekly program, which will be coming on tonight, Wednesday, March 25th, 2015, New Abolitionist Radio. This program is a direct offshoot of that original program, which, like I said, is a weekly show, which we uh, come on here every day and tell you about all the things that we can't get around to in a weekly format. So what we attempt to do here is dig deeper into more of the stories that are coming out of state to state to state, uh, departments of correction, uh, private prisons, all of it focusing around slavery, which is the financial incentive for mass incarceration. And we strive to prove our case with detailed information reports that come from think tanks and organizations that are, that's their sole purpose for existence is to investigate these matters and come up with the statistics and the, the science behind it. So we know, and we don't just have opinions. We actually know what is going on. So, like I said, this comes from an incentive put in the constitution known as the 13th amendment. And the 13th Amendment of the United States Constitution says, neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as a punishment for crime whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. And again, we look at mass incarceration here as it truly is. It's a financially incentivized method of also genocide, disenfranchisement, something that we'll mention on today's program as we get going into it, because the numbers are clear across the board. The vast majority of people are incarcerated for nonviolent offenses. Over 90% of convictions are coming as the result of plea arrangements and not actual trials. 
one in 13 African Americans in this nation is disenfranchised, no longer having the, the uh, right to vote due to a felony conviction, regardless of if it was violent or nonviolent, regardless if it was a plea deal taken, the original arrest was for something partic- just ridiculously petty, but the prosecutor was able to stack some charges up and get the person just to take take a plea and not risk going to trial and facing even more years. So we'll talk about those inner workings. But again, the genocide aspect of it, when you take people as young as their teen years up into their 40s, the vast majority of those incarcerated range from that 18 to 44 age group. Those are the prime procreation years for men and women in America anyway. So when you take people and you take them away from their environment where they're able to to make their babies and establish families, you've effectively carried out a form of genocide against the people. And we've discussed also at length here the negative impact that all of this has on communities in general. As individuals are no longer viable members and mentors of their communities. They're not there to give advice or to give instruction, to give discipline, to give inspiration. They're no longer around to protect, to provide for. They're gone and uh, often forgotten because the wheels just keep turning. Days just keep passing and the people need have their needs that are set before them for a new day. So when our loved ones are taken away, it's often very personal and intimate to us. We know they're gone. But you got to think about the thousands of children in their neighborhoods that didn't get a chance to meet them and would have known them had they been around, but they're gone, so they never get to meet them, and they never know anyone like that even existed. Someone with a gift for speaking, someone who was a great teacher, someone who was a physical specimen, maybe inspired children to better health, work out, to to go for it in sports, someone that was great in school. You know, a lot of these people, whether they're caught up in drug convictions or running with gangs or whatever kind of things are are criminalized in this culture that contribute to this 2.5 million, by some estimates, close to 9 million, in jails daily all the way through the prison system and the probation systems and on and on. A lot of these people are are genius level. I mean, really intelligent, gifted people that chose other means or were forced into situations where they had only certain means at their, at their disposal for eating day-to-day, for living indoors day-to-day, for protecting themselves from greater threats of violence that were allowed to exist in their communities. So the jails and prisons are by no means just full of a bunch of dummies that couldn't have done anybody any good. A lot of these people, given a chance, with a better social structure or social safety nets, with removal of all this hyper-criminalization that's, that's shoved down the throats of the poor and the people of color, a lot of these people would have been there to develop systems to help build up communities be there to develop 
education systems and, and physical training systems and, and just all sorts of things that could help build the community. If you remember this nation coming out of slavery saw a great explosion of African American involvement in inventions and advancement of science and technology and industry in this country. Culture. And still to this day exists largely on the unsung names and on the unsung backs of people of color and immigrants that come up with systems and ideas and technologies and medical development so when we continue to rape the population for the sake of a few to benefit financially because they are willing to develop their systems based on modern day slavery and human trafficking shipping people around the country like California does when the uh, Supreme Court has told them five years ago that you need to and you will reduce your roles you are over capacity around 200% you have to get rid of these people and their response was to increase private prison contracting and begin to send people out of state so they could hide them from the state roles. And their response was to use their state attorney general, Kamala Harris, her office, to sue to keep prisoners incarcerated there because they, quote-unquote, need the cheap labor. An admission from the state's top cop, the state's top law enforcement agent, that they engage in slavery and also that they engage in human trafficking when they talk about sending inmates to Mississippi for one example in Mississippi private prisons are packed full of inmates that are from California so these are things we discuss here slavery, human trafficking we get into discussing the conditions on the plantations also some of the worst you can ever imagine on the planet earth there's no disputing it you don't hear anyone coming out trying to deny. If anything, you hear them try to embrace it and blame it on the victims. Blame it on the inmates that it's so bad there. Blame it on people for breaking the law that if they didn't want to live like that, they shouldn't have. So you hear this type of, of logic is the way, or non-logic is the way people refer to these things. But we highlight it all the same. And we combat it with what we hope is common sense and good sense. We uh, we work with these facts and, and do our best to, to come up with solutions, work with organizations that are presenting solutions and alternatives, stand in solidarity with groups that are that are committed to making the change happen in a lot of cases by any means necessary. Our brothers and sisters that are working with the uh, Free Alabama and free Mississippi movements at this point it's by any means necessary there's no there's no parsing words there's no doubt in any of their minds they are working to make an end to this because their backs are against the wall they don't have anywhere else to hide they're in the cells the decayed ceilings falling in concrete cracked and Eroding and stained black with generations of blood spill 
So if this is your existence where you're on a concrete slab, is your bed, and you got a concrete floor, and it's split down the middle, and it's eroding away from all the people that have pasted it for decades before you got there, and the blood is black, and the sinks don't work, and the toilet is right there, and there's three or four other people in the cell with you, and it's really only made for one or two people. I mean, these people don't have any place else to go, so these are the extreme end of the activist movement, the abolitionist activism movement, the people that don't have anything else to 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 lose. And we are in solidarity with them now as there's several across the country that are enacting work stoppages, effectively slave revolts. We've talked about Lee County Correctional out of South Carolina. We saw what happened in Wallace County, Texas. That prison is shut down now. That plantation is closed. We're discussing what's going on in St. Clair in Alabama and the other Alabama prisons that are in solidarity with them in the Free Alabama Movement. And we'll be discussing one of their press releases today as they have put forth a six-point plan to work to bring about the changes that they're seeking. And again, they're not asking for anything outrageous they're simply asking that people recognize the conditions are inhumane and the treatment is inhumane and that torture and rape and enslaving people has nothing to do with rehabilitating people, has nothing to do with making people pay penance, which is the source of the, the root of the name of penitentiary. So this is why we have to stand in solidarity with these movements because at some point we have to be honest about what are we really trying to do. Are we throwing people away? As young as 14, 12, 13, like the over 3,000 children that are 14 and under, some 14 and under who are on the uh, in, on the prison plantations across this country with life without possibility of parole sentences and by far not all of those convictions are based on any type of murder or, or overtly violent act towards anyone even if we had a 12 year old a 13 year old that killed someone are we really that country do we take a child and put them in life with a prison without I mean what why even keep a person alive honestly if you're just going to put a 12 year old in prison for the next 70 years 80 years of their life if you're really going to do that I mean they stopped the death penalty for children in 2005 a fact that most people are not aware of but why why end it if you're going to put a 12 year old a 13 year old a 14 year old in life in prison without the possibility of parole and completely destroy that person's ability to have any hope of having a life afterward. There's no chance that a child is going to be able to have a life once you've taken them at 13 years old and locked them away. 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, gone. So these are things we discuss on this program are, are these hardcore facts about what we're facing. Today, we're going to, like I said, we're going to talk about the uh, Free Alabama Movement's press release 
latest press release that is stressing um, action number three on their six point plan which is the McDonald's initiative to, to uh, stop the school to prison pipeline to go to local McDonald's and protest openly and begin to help spread the word we're going to take one corporation at a time not a not a thinly spread scattered out all over everything because there are hundreds that are engaged in this taking advantage of slave labor and slave wages of people that are incarcerated there's hundreds of them in America that are doing this setting up shop literally at prison plantation locations setting up a separate wing built off of a prison for McDonald's operations there for Walmart's operations for AT&T's call centers for Verizon's customer care services for Victoria's Secret and on and on and on these people set up facilities on the prison and you would never know because most of the prisons are off of an exit that you never take off the highway that leads off into the country down a dirt road on a rural area somewhere 10 miles from where you go every day off in the country someplace off in the woods off the beaten path somewhere that you never really even went down there to see what was down there and yeah it's a prison down there and it's privately owned or and people are in there from all over the country human trafficking and they're being forced to do labor and if they don't do the labor we'll talk about in the free Alabama movement the statements that they're making as the as the inmates they could tell you I would imagine that they could tell you if it's just me speculating on what's going on then I give you I give you room to, to wonder if I really know what I'm talking about if I just took some gossip I heard and just I just feel like being out here on the radio just talking crazy about but no I'm talking to and working with real inmates real people who's they already have lost their freedom and they're looking at losing whatever little bit of privileges they may think they have while they're in there the ability to visit with their families any kind of phone privileges recreational privileges of it all being thrown in greater solitary confinement these are all things that are that are handed out to folks that don't want to engage in the slavery that do want to speak out against the human rights violations and they tell us a little bit more in detail about the operations that are going on in the prisons for McDonald's specifically and their their plan is to call them out and to work on breaking down their business forcing them to make a statement and acknowledge the pressure from the public and this kind of lends into the program we did uh, yesterday the last podcast from uh, March 24th where we discussed the animal rights laws that are already in place to stop animal rights activists from attacking businesses on the bottom line on the on the financial end causing people to draw away from doing business with them from talking bad about them from negative propaganda being spread about them to cause people to not enter into business contracts with them to cause people to divest that's already a a federal crime so while we still got the sunlight to do it we need to get for real and and actually make, make a dent make a blow that can't be taken back 
And God knows McDonald's has gotten enough of our money and our time and our health and our lives and our general concern. I could have happily lived a life and never known about McDonald's. It adds nothing to my life experience as a human being put on this planet. There was nothing that's added to me that I needed to get from knowing about Ronald McDonald and eating Happy Meals and quarter pounders with cheese and all this stuff. I mean, there was nothing. It's all a one-way thing. They took from me. I didn't get anything from them. I could have lived a happy life without them. So I have no problem with seeing them crippled financially. They've built a trillion-dollar enterprise over the last 70 years or whatever in this country. So it's time they take they take a hit. And in the black community specifically, according to Brother Bob Law, we learned that they take in around twenty-five to $27,000 a day from McDonald's franchises that are specifically located in the hood. So in the black community, each McDonald's store taking in close to $30,000 a day. So it's really not much to see them give $1,000 to the United Negro College Fund. To see them come out on BET for the UNICEF awards or whatever and we have a check for $10,000 for the top scholar and you got 12 black children from around the country breaking their necks to strive to get that $10,000 and these bastards is taking $30,000 a day out of your neighborhoods and not reinvesting a dime and even now we find that they're not even interested in their, the, the push that's being made towards uh, elevating the minimum wage. This is still a disingenuous effort. Walmart, McDonald's, Starbucks, these kind of places that are, that are so, so-called on with the fight, when you find out they're taking advantage of prison slave labor, then how, how dishonest is that? To put yourself out there like you're, yes, we hear your demands and we're working with the people. We're going to make sure that we, we raise that minimum wage and we're going to, we understand. And you don't understand. Yeah, you understand that people are ignorant and don't really know what the hell they're talking about. And it's a bunch of followers picking up picket signs and taking a day off work and going to walk down Main Street to assuage any kind of guilt they feel for not being more proactive about the society they live in. It's like a little therapy pill to get your picket sign and go out for a couple days and face the rain or see the police lining the streets and whatever people get excited. It's an adrenaline rush or something to go out here and protest like you're really going to make some change. And these people you're protesting and they're saying that they're going to go ahead and raise the minimum wage. These people are using slave labor, pennies per hour, slave wages. So if you're listening to this program and you're interested in the abolitionist movement and you want to work with us or you want to carry this information out it is greatly appreciated that you share this and spread this because right when someone posts their pictures on Facebook of their protest of their day at the raise the minimum wage we're making demands on corporate America go ahead and share with them the links that will be on the abolitionist daily page go ahead and share with them the the podcast where we're going to talk about the facts of, of the matter and disclose to you just what McDonald's is really up to so yeah, you get you go from five dollars an hour or seven dollars an hour. Maybe you get them up to ten dollars an hour for a handful of people that work in the store. But the people that make the bread, that process the meat, that 
run the production machines that make the plastic wear that create the uniforms that go around every franchise around every location in the country and probably around the world those are people that are behind bars that are getting nothing so how do you raise the minimum wage for for that so we're going to talk about that today we're going to go back to florida and discuss um, the florida house and how they took the senate the florida senate's uh plan and not necessarily dismantled it, but they definitely uh, took out one of the most important aspects of it as far as I'm concerned and as far as the people that I've been talking to and working with in this, in this fight uh, are concerned is the idea of, of removing um, oversight, the oversight board. So we, my first estimation is that somehow the, the Florida House is in greater connection to, or I won't say in the pocket of, but like a better friends of, I guess the, the Florida governor or Rick Scott, because removing the oversight board is going to continue to keep the governor in control over the department of corrections. And in 2014 with 350 people dying in custody and for years from 3,500 deaths in custody over the last decade or so, it would seem the governor should forfeit his control of the Department of Corrections as it is underfunded in a dilapidated state, understaffed. The mortality rates are ridiculous. They have a, an inmate mortality website to show you all the people that have died, and you can look up anybody you're interested in and see for yourself. The investigations are still pending, and the medical examiner has not made cause has not made the uh, cause of death in hundreds of cases evident as yet. And even though this has been two, three, four, five years since people have died, and it's pretty obvious a crushed skull is the reason for being dead, but the medical examiner still hasn't made his findings available. These are the things that are going on in Florida. So if anything, the governor should step away, it would seem, gracefully and quietly, without fanfare, and allow the oversight board to come in and, and at least try to stop anything, any new violations from occurring. At some point, someone's going to have to answer for all that has already occurred. There's no way around that. Go find yourself some patsies and integrate them so you can throw them away because if you don't want to lose your, your freedom yourself as, as an individual, as a uh, elected officials, or if you have too much pride to just fall on your sword for what you've been a part of doing and what you've been sitting back watching happen, then find somebody that you feel is expendable, but somebody has to pay for what has gone on in Florida. You can't just murder people on and on, year after year, no discretion, no discrimination, just, just killing people captives that you have you, you can't do that so Florida's going to have to answer for that and we're going to go back to Florida and talk about that we're going to also look at some hardcore facts and stats I'm, I'm going to spend less time today I mean after this <laughs> introductory monologue I'm going to spend less time today giving my opinions and just going on and on about what I think I'm going to just give you the facts and just leave the cold hard facts there I'm not going to, to talk about what I think I'm going to tell you the facts, and there's so many facts that are available to us. I'm just going to spend some time reading off statistics to you so you can see for yourself just the cold, hard statistics of what's going on. Our unexplainable black death profile today is Brother James Perez, a young man that was shot by police at a routine, so-called routine traffic stop, where they originally claimed that... 
they knew he was not the person that was registered on the tags of the car. They knew it couldn't have been him because he was he was not of the of the correct age. It, it was obvious that it wasn't, you know, who was the uh, person that that owned that car. So that's why they stopped him. But they didn't know he was black because the windows were tinted. They didn't know he was black though until they they walked up to the car, uh, guns and tasers drawn, and he rolled down his window. So that already doesn't make any sense. But that was testimony of the cops when they were cleared of the uh, of the indictment that was lightly put against them. So we'll talk about Brother James Perez, our unexplainable black death profile, and uh, that hopefully will will um, enlighten and, and inspire and activate any potential activists and abolitionists that are out there that hear this. Again, this is the Abolitionist Daily, a daily news program dedicated to this information to help you become informed and you will spread that news, hopefully, to all that don't know. We are going to take our first break and uh, we'll be right back. You are tuned in to the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts and live program scheduling, visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. Okay, we're back. This is the Abolitionist Daily. This is Johan and Elia on the Black Talk Radio Network. We're going to remind you, before we even get going too deep into this thing, that this is the 2015 Black Talk Radio Network fundraiser. We are uh, in the middle of right now, and this requires your help. This is a community-sponsored, community-driven radio network with dozens of programs, individuals, and groups, and interests that are represented here. We've got uh, spirituality covered, politics covered, uh, the prison slavery system covered, Racism, white supremacy covered, regional shows, national shows, news shows, music shows, current events, finances. I mean, it's, so it's everywhere. There's all sorts of information. It, it really is at this point, even now, a viable source of information for many different and varied interests and ideas. And all of it is made possible by the community. So please visit the blacktalkradionetwork.com website, and you'll see, as soon as you get on the landing page, you'll see pretty clear in front of you that we are in this fundraiser, as I spoke of, and you'll see a little box to the right that's the Black Talk Media Project's 2015 fundraiser, where you can click Donate, MasterCard, Visa, American Express, Discover, your bank cards, debit cards, whatever you want to give with. If you uh, don't want to use those methods, email me at newabolitionistsradio at gmail.com. Give you the address. You can send a, send a money order to the project, blacktalkmediaproject.org. I mean, however you need us to work with you to be able to make a donation, to be able to make a contribution, don't let any type of a thing that you think is 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 a is an obstacle come into play. 
because there is no obstacle. We have to continue to produce the news and put the information out that is changing lives and helping people and changing the direction of our country. I see for a fact on this program and on the New Abolitionist radio program and on several other programs that I listen to and, and, and share that are from this network, I see the national narrative is affected by things we discuss here. And there are tens of thousands of people that visit this website every single month, month in, month out, tens of thousands of people that participate in the news and follow what we're talking about. So they understand what we're saying. And like I said, this becomes a part of the national news narrative. Many times on New Abolitionist Radio, we've discussed how in the week after our our program, we begin to see national news headlines that are discussing these same topics. We've seen Huffington Post follow up on what we've discussed and re-transmit the news that we've reported. We've seen national websites pick up our stories and, and, and put them out there on an even larger platform. So by all means, what we're doing here is relevant and is effective and is affecting people. And if we want to actually have a community, if we want to actually be a force in the propaganda war, because at the end of the day, the, the war is actually the propaganda. The psychological effects of the news stories you hear, the psychological effects of the warfare being let, lodged against people of color and against the poor. There is no post-traumatic stress syndrome. There's, no, there's nothing post about what's going on. You need to be real about that. And if you want to address the ongoing traumatic stress syndrome disorder, that you see that is black America that you see that is people of color immigrants, people flooding into this country trying to run from this, the ongoing traumatic stress disorder and conditions that are going on in the countries that they come from coming here to find themselves made slaves coming here to find themselves subjugated and beaten and raped and tortured and this is all propaganda war, this is all psychological warfare as well as physical so we need to be serious about having a place in that war. Or if you just want to let Fox tell you the news and show you your favorite shows, since they're in the urban television market now with Empire, or if you trust CBS, who has not had a black person in a lead position on any television show and maybe ever, if you trust ABC and, and NBC, to be your only source of news and, and where you get information CNN and MSNBC you, you trust Don Lemon to be the black the black face of the news for you so you follow CNN <laughs> so these are things you need to consider is where are you going to get your news from where are you going to get the information you need from are you always going to be reacting to things that you hear instead of finding information that's going to help you understand what's coming down the road? So this is a serious concern. and Please take seriously the 2015 fundraiser for the network so we can keep this going on into the future, keep our voices going, keep expanding the network regionally, state by state, city by city, individuals picking up networks and developing radio stations and controlling programming so we can return our neighborhood listening to the things that we probably grew up on and listened to. You know, right now, 
like the 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 so-called oldies, the the love music and the the uh, R&B music of the of the 80s and 90s, the the 90s rap, the 80s early rap. These kind of this kind of music is the number one music on stations across the country. People aren't even listening to this crap that the major stage stations are putting out in our neighborhoods. The FM networks where you go to 103 or 101 or 100 point whatever or 107 where the black music is, people don't even want to hear that. But they keep pumping it into your ears and into your children's ears so they can hear this crap nonstop, 24-7. No community involvement, no community messaging, no information. It's not a place where activists can get their message out and let people know to come to this march, come to this protest, come to this town hall meeting, come to this committee meeting, to this state office or city council meeting. That None of that information gets out on those stations. But all that information gets out here, and when you become a part of it and make sure that it does, and then you can help get that information out to your people. So I'll stop stumping for for the network right now but just understand that it's just much more than than Johanan coming on every day and ranting for two hours and then disappearing back into the into the abyss it's it's people hundreds and thousands of people all over the nation that are getting a lifeline of important information and you hearing this being one of them please contribute to the network blacktalkradionetwork.com blacktalkmediaproject.org Give a donation, and let's make sure we have this going into the future. So, back to Florida. We want to talk about Florida first, because we found uh, Senator Ted Cruz came out. Um, came out. He came out as a candidate for um, president here recently, a couple days ago. He finally came on out, started doing his press tours, and said he wants to get his name in the hat. He wants to be a president. So with that, we've been hearing of all these people that are going to get in the game. And we know that it's going to involve Hillary and Jeb, probably Jeb Bush. And since Jeb Bush is from Florida, and since he was a former governor of Florida for many, many years, and obviously connected to the brother and father that were already president. So we know the Bushes can very quickly put themselves in power. And in case this guy comes up with something and becomes a real player and actually does seem to look, I mean, America can turn, turn on a dime. They could put out some news stories that'll turn things. And pretty soon you won't even have a, an opinion to give anymore. You won't have a place to stand. It'll just be, we're doing what we want to do and just hold on. Cause here comes the riot. So however they're going to end up justifying that Deb is a good candidate and that he should be the next president and all this stuff that we're about to go through, I thought it would be good for us to look at where we've already come from. We've already had a world where Jeb Bush was the president, the president of Florida, where he was running the prisons down there for years as we're telling you about the Florida House bill that took out the uh, petition for an oversight committee because they don't want the governor to lose his oversight, his total control of the prison system even though thousands of people die in the prisons there, even though they're underfunded, even though they're using prison slavery and sweatshop conditions 
even though there's mass rapes going on, even though there's malnutrition, even though there is no health care being extended to the inmates, and on and on with the problems. Jeb Bush oversaw all of this on his day when he was the president of Florida, when he was able to affect the national elections of, two, of the year 2000 and get the recount of the hang, hanging chads and all that nonsense. So like we saw Rick Scott run for governor here recently down there in Florida against Charlie Crist, who was a, a, a former governor himself. All of these people are criminals. I mean, I try to, to keep it light and don't go too far with attacking these people or what have you, but it, it just blurts out sometimes. These people are criminals, okay? Let's just get that established. They're complicit in criminal behavior, criminal activity, ongoing criminal conspiracies to extort the citizens, ongoing criminal conspiracies to cover up the deaths and murders of these inmates and of innocent people killed by police officers. So it's a pretty wide and broad net that can be thrown across all of them. And guilt by association applies here. They're all in the same crews, all in the same little buddy circles, good old boy networks or whatever. They all know what each other is, is doing and is involved in doing, and they want a piece of it too. Just like Rick Scott is now protecting himself from being taken out of the loop in the, in the prison situation, one of the worst in the nation, in a nation that is the worst on the planet. We look at Jeb, Jeb Bush now and recall some of his ways when he was the governor and obviously the rise of the private prisons came under his watch and just like Rick Scott was able to be uh, re-elected as governor and appoint the fourth the fourth secretary of the department of corrections in as many years the seventh out of eight years I mean, you would think that would be a major international story when our, one of our states is, is running an election for governor. I mean, there, there are many nations and international news organizations covering the, the races during the election period last year, last November. They were all talking about various states and various races and discussing the ups and downs and the, the dirt on individuals and the races and, you know, whatever the tone they were taking. That was all a part of the news cycle. But something that we reported on New Abolitionist Radio back in that time was how no one was taking these clowns to task on the prison situation. You were currently in the midst of a, of a campaign, November 2014. With, in that same year, over 300 people were killed, or died anyway, in custody in your state prisons, which number about 100,000 people. And not one single solitary word mentioned during any of the, the town halls, during any of the debates. No one was taken to task over that. None of these, neither one of these governors brought that up to the other. And now here we see former Governor Jeb Bush representing himself as a, as a calm, toned down version of the old fire-breathing 
tough on crime, hang him by the neck. He literally said that people should be hanged. At one point, he was pissed off that, that one of the guys that was running against him wasn't for the electric chair. I told you on this program weeks ago that he at one point in a campaign back in the day, he was talking about how, um, talking about how we need to speed up the process of executing people. So this is all what Jeb was about. So now we'll just take a look back at him again because he's going to be putting his name out there officially and I just want this to be on the record and a part of your your tools that you can use to, to quickly shut this down or require people to at least think. I mean, at some point when a person says lesser of two evils, well then you have to start analyzing exactly what evils. Let's be specific. You say the lesser of two evils, what are we talking about? Because if you've got this, 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 and this, and you're saying the other guy's the lesser, well, I mean, if we look at what his are, then it, well, actually you find out maybe he's not the lesser. So you're going to hear from people that what, whoever the Democrats put out, Jeb is going to be the lesser of two evils. Jeb's the better candidate because this, this, and this. You're going to hear about Ted Cruz, or you're going to hear about, you know, who are all these clowns, all these people, they're both the same bird, wings of, two wings on a bird. Democrat left wing, Republican right wing, and it's the same bird. A damn scavenger. So we'll go into a story from uh, care2.com that came out and it says uh, Jeb Bush needs to address the Florida prison abuse now. And he does. Or I am. Too late, Jeb. I'm already doing it. Florida prisons have a huge problem. In 2014, a staggering 346 people died within state correction facilities. The abuse allegations are incredibly disturbing. Prison fatalities have ranged from an inmate being left in a scalding shower to being gassed. These do not appear to be tragic accidents. Early reports show a pattern of abuse and cover-up. In fact, a suit filed by five prison inspectors against the Florida Department of Corrections gag order was dismissed and rejected by a Tallahassee judge upon appeal. From a Think Progress uh, report that the DOC Secretary Julie Jones instituted, a gag order upon news of a state legislative committee investigation. As we said, she got on board real quick, didn't she? So maybe we're seeing already with her why she was picked, why she was brought out of retirement. A role player. A fishing game department. Head woman in charge. The, the uh, highway traffic and safety department. Head woman in charge. No groundbreaking works done. Just, you know, held it down. Just held her position. Nothing special. You know, busted down those people that were out there trying to fish with no license. For years, she was tough on the, on the fishing license enforcement. People dumping pythons in the Everglades that didn't want them as pets anymore. Oh wait, no, she wasn't too tough on that because that's completely destroying the the uh the natural habitats down there. The... But she was overfishing game for years and then moved to the traffic safety department and 
I guess traffic accidents went down or the stoplights were better calibrated to facilitate the lessening of rush hour traffic. I don't know what, the, you know, what did, what did what she did with these departments have to do with the prisons? Oh, now we're starting to see why she was made the head of a 100,000 inmate, one of the largest departments of corrections in the country. Now we're starting to see why she was put in that position because she's okay with putting out gag orders and without, and with guaranteeing that there'd be no repercussions for employees who came to blow the whistle in front of the state senators and people reporting that, well, in fact, I was intimidated. Well, in fact, they did tell me I better not go. Well, in fact, now my hours are getting cut. Now I am facing backlash. She's a part of the system. She's a, she's one of the, she's a good old girl. Prison abuse in the U.S. is nothing new. Illinois is currently embattled in a huge controversy over allegations that hundreds of guards have been involved in the abuse of inmates. A class action suit claims that guards beat and sexually abused the inmates. Mississippi is also facing criticism for its prison system. With family members of inmates alleging that their relatives have been physically abused, denied proper medical care, and even killed by fellow inmates. But the Florida situation is unique. And before I read this, just think of what they're telling you. These are all the former slave states named off. We talk about Alabama. We're going to cover them on the program today. We talked about Georgia, one of the leaders, and still right now putting out the debtor's prison idea of, of going out after people over municipal infractions and charging them extra fees and making sure people end up in jail and later going to prison. Former slave state, Florida, slave state, Mississippi, slave state. So just think about that. I mean, this is the legacy of America. These people don't have anything new and innovative to put in place. Slavery still brings home the bread. But Florida's situation is unique in its scope and context, especially since an ex-governor of the state is readying himself for a campaign to become the next president of the United States. Governor Jeb Bush, whose tenure in Florida began in 1999 and extended into 2007, has an incredibly troubling history on crime issues. He has openly discussed, described himself as a hang-em-by-the-neck conservative who suggested that we build more prisons and expedite executions. And in 1994 ad, he bemoaned the fact that his opponent didn't approve of the electric chair. This is the guy, man. I mean, I don't know if you'll hear any of these kind of things. I don't know if you care. It's tough to tell anymore. Like I said, I read the websites all the time. I mean, I'm always researching information and, and looking up, you know, things to follow up on, things we discussed on the program, or looking up what I'm going to talk about on the next program, or for new abolitionists, or to contribute to any one of the social media outlets that we got established. So I'm in the cycle constantly. And I don't go to websites specifically to go read racist rhetoric. I mean, who needs it? But whether it's, I just had some guy on Twitter chasing me down. This clown has some account that's got 11 followers. And he sat here and tried to debate me for like the last two weeks over racism. It was some silly comment that he made that had to, the original post that I think said something about, um, it was during our, our Florida, our uh, Ferguson America, one of our first uh, programs. And so some other uh, page that we follow on Twitter, had made a post that was kind of saying the same similar thing that was saying like you know Ferguson shows us you know what what um 
racism and, and the municipal something, something, whatever. So anyway, I just, I just favored it. And I think I made a, or I didn't even make a comment. He had made a comment on their post about, um, racism and, and you'd have to be a racist to, to ever claim racism of somebody. Something's completely ignorant. And I just simply said, well, what do the actual, you know, what are the actual tickets and fines and all of this actually show us and who else had the authority to issue tickets and warrants for people's arrest. So if you look at who was being fined and who had the authority to do it and, and so who was doing it, then it should be pretty clear is my message. I'm just, you know, it's not a matter of opinion when you've got 90 plus percent black people getting tickets and fines and warrants and whatnot. And then you've got 100% white people who are all in these positions of authority to be able to do this and they every single day do this thing, well, then it, what? No, nobody likes it. You know, we don't want it. But you can't just sit and turn your head from it and act like that's not somewhat racially biased and, and if not motivated, then explain how what would be racially motivated. What more could you do to be racially motivated if not that? And so until they were caught by the Department of Justice, they were continuing to do it. And still to this day, they must be still doing some because the city hasn't shut down yet. See, when they stop, they won't have any revenue, and the city itself will shut down. They'll all be out of jobs. So that was the original comment, and it just went on and on. The guy just kept saying the most ridiculous things. So I'm just saying all this to say these comments and these websites and these Twitter feeds and these people and this foolishness, this is, you know, this is this is what's going on. But like I said, it's not a matter of going there just to find yourself in that situation, so you have to read that or so you have to to subject yourself to that but this is what people are doing so I hope that you would be compelled by reading that kind of information I would hope that you would care about that the, I mean in light of the recent lynching of Otis Bird Lennon Lacey the Delaware lynchings 2011 and 12 in light of the fact that black people are still being found in this country hanged by the neck does it make you uncomfortable at all that Jeb Bush openly describes himself as a hang by the neck conservative? Does it concern you in the least that in a day when we have 2.4 or near 2.5 million individuals locked behind prison walls, does it concern you in the least that this is one that profited from and encouraged the continual uh, expansion of the private prison complex in his co in his state now as shows the results of that Florida Department of Corrections supervises over 100,000 inmates that's not a state where someone was wanting to be a prison reformer that's a state where someone wanted to be a prison expansion person does it upset you at all that this guy is all about we need to ex we need to expedite these executions these people are sitting on death row too long we need to get them on out of here when we're living in a day where over 300 people have been exonerated after spending decades in prisons we talked about brother Glenn Ford just uh, I believe it was just yesterday on this program then the prosecutor came out and said oh I feel bad now because I back in the time back 30 years ago all I was concerned with was just getting convictions and I really didn't care about justice and I took testimony from so-called experts that were not really experts and didn't know what they was talking about and I ignored evidence that was available I just didn't want to see it because it was going to give me trouble with getting my prosecution getting my 
conviction. So I just dismissed it. I didn't really think about this was somebody's life. And he sentenced the man to, to death row. So under Jeb Bush, Glenn Ford would be dead. And it just so happens now that he's out, 30 years later, he's about to die from stage four cancer. And the state of Louisiana is fighting him over 300 funky, $300,000. A minimum amount of money to give a person for t- stealing 30 years from their life. And they're fighting him over that. But he's lucky to have his life because had Jeb Bush had his way, he would have been dead long time ago, exonerated posthumously. As America loves to do, give honors and exonerate people after they dead and gone. Yeah, well, they love to honor Negroes then. George Stinney got a, got a pass. He was the youngest person to be killed in American, uh, on death row. You got Supreme Court Justice Scalia coming out saying we've never in- executed an innocent person in America. Hell, you just exonerated one <laughs> that you killed. How damn lost do you have to be in this country to be in some kind of position of authority or, or, or making decisions over people's lives? It's ridiculous. Says Jeb took positions against rehabilitative efforts in the 90s and stoked the fires of populist fear. During a 1993 campaign, he exclaimed, he exclaimed how people cannot walk on their streets without fear of crime. He went on to add, simple fact is we're just not safe, not in our homes and not anywhere. See, this is the guy that ramped up the rhetoric, that pushed the, the narrative, that pushed the, the separation. See, what is easy to be said now? It pisses me off that I hear day in, day out, out of racist, oh, out of racist people and racist suspects and even the proxies, the proxy racists, the Negroes, the people of color who are toting the party line of racism, white supremacy, the parrots, the puppets, white supremacy hand tucked up the nether places and operating their little mouths. They talk about how well, under Obama and Holder, well, this, this nation is completely falling apart on race. Obama's the most racist president. He's pushed more racial division. Really? Hmm. Okay. So people like Jeb Bush all through the 90s pushing about how we were not safe. Uh, Bush's daddy destroying Michael Dukakis with the, the Willie Horton ad or whatever back in the day. You seriously want to say that those things didn't drive race, a racial separation? Even the hint of pushing for black folks getting some kind of justice, getting any kind of mention of anything to be a help to people of color is pushing the racial divide in this country according to racist people but calling black children super predators and wolf pack animals and that ain't racist though that's not pushing the racial divide this is the abolitionist daily we'll be right back let me give you the number in case you wanted to call in and comment today or had a question the number to the program is area code 712-775-7035 the access code is 367526-POUND Hit star six and one, and you will be on the program. We'll be right back.
is Brother Elliot, host of Time for an Awakening, and you're listening to Black Talk Radio Network, new media for the new millennium. And we are back. This is the Abolitionist Daily. This is Johan and Elia, and this is the Black Talk Radio Network. Before the break, we were talking about Jeb Bush and how he gets down and dirty for his political points. Not able to run on anything innovative, anything uh, healing, anything powerful, and, and, and something that can grow and create a community. It's like a lot of the rest of them. Running on the fear factor. Running on what America itself was built on at the end of the day. Genocide. I mean, when you really break down what this guy's talking about, he's talking about incarcerating and murdering people as a way to help people that, if you like me, as he's saying, if you, if you want to be down with the Jeb Bush program, we can pick us a set of people that we say we don't like, and we can kill them, and we can throw them in jails, and we can generate profits off of them, and we can use fear tactics to make you feel safe, and everything. isn't that the world you want to live in? You like that? Vote for me. So, that's how he used to go, and of course now he's a kinder, gentler package for America. See, he was packaging himself for Florida's interest back in those times for a deeply racist southern state, former slave state. He was packaging himself for that back in the day. But now he's trying to make himself a, a national player and an international uh, force to be reckoned with. Riding on the name recognition of the Bushes and <laughs> I guess he's taking it as their sterling record of governance Wow, we are we are screwed, people. If you don't take direct action, direct activism, don't start getting involved in shaking this thing up. Do something more than than listen to radio programs and read Facebook posts and keep going with the status quo. If we don't start doing something, there's not going to be any more chance to do anything. If you could still find it, you'll be listening to this podcast however long, a couple years from now or something, and you're just going to look back and say, damn, man, he was right, because these people are not joking around. <laughs> There's nothing stopping them. They're not limited. They're not threatened. They're not worried. Their agenda is moving forward to the persecution of a great many millions of people. Let's hope we take it seriously. Anyway, by the end of Jeb Bush's tenure as governor, reportedly 50% of prison inmates had actually not even committed any violent crimes. The majority of those inmates were, of course, people of color. And as of now, Bush is, is uh, no longer available to be contacted. His spokesperson, no one. They're, they, they're not taking requests for contact, and they definitely are not willing to discuss his record of private, private prison support. Even this year, who is funding his, not even announced yet, but obviously understood it will be imminent presidential run? Who is behind it? Who's pushing him? 
I can guarantee you the private prisons are putting big money behind it. The, that that they report and make available for you to see. And remember, these people we've shown, and I don't want to get too far off on the tangent, but we've shown that these people are able to hide money. They don't even discuss with their with their shareholders all of the money they bring in, because they were asked in one of the in one of the conference calls that we put on the program, whether it was this one or the uh, New Abolitionist Radio. One of the uh, uh, representatives from investment houses asked them a question that had to do with what were they doing with some properties that they had uh, had acquired, and you know were they going to be able to turn them into something else, or you know what were they going to do with that with those lots or whatever. And somehow, it may have been. Uh, Zoli or one of his uh, minions, but one of them gave an answer that was very elusive, and 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 he kind of snickered at the end, like <laughs> we can't tell you about you know what what we're doing with that, and it led me to believe that they are able to generate profits, but they're keeping that kind of information off the books, like whether they're selling that to local interest or if they're leasing out the. I mean, I don't know what they're doing with, but it has something to do with property they had picked up that they weren't able to. Um, I think one of their competitors maybe had had taken some old properties and turned it into a school or something. I'll have to find it again. But bottom line being, we already know that corporations do not by any means disclose all the money that they have access to and that they have running through their hands. So Jeb Bush getting contributions to his campaign on the record is one thing. But we also know he's getting a big chunk of money off the record from the private prisoners. Damon Heinegger and George Zoli, his sweetheart buddy right there in the state of Florida, that got his comeuppance while George or Jeb Bush was the governor for all those years. Right there in Boca Raton, Florida. Building up a billion multi billion dollar enterprise of slavery, human trafficking, immigrant detention. So I'm just bringing this to your attention, and hopefully I've made a point that will stick with you, that you will remember, because you're going to be seeing all of this. It's all going to be in your face constantly, these people smiling and handshaking, and everybody wants to be your president, and then, then, then it's just going to be on and freaking on. It's what you're going to be forced to watch for the next year. Two years, none's all you're going to hear every day. All you're going to be dealing with is a god doggone political process. So I just want to get that out the way. And um, also, while we're still in Florida, I'm just going to give you briefly the information about the uh, the Florida House and the uh, reform bill that was put out. And we've been talking about this on this program and in the abolitionist movement. We've got uh, uh, friends and abolitionists in the state of Florida. Uh, George Malincrod, he's staying on this. He actually, and I'm going to report on that probably tomorrow, he actually was able to get a 30-minute phone call with um, uh, DLC Secretary Julie Jones that he was a little bit disgruntled about, but he realizes it's some progress. He's actually able to talk to her. So George Malincrod, our former, our, uh, our friend of the program, a uh, former psychotherapist that worked at the Dade Correctional Institution where uh, Darren Rainey was boiled to death, and wrote a book called Getting Away with Murder that actually details the events that surrounded Darren Rainey's death and several others that were killed in custody in the state of Florida and George's own being run out of his position um, with the uh, State uh, Department of Corrections, um, working under contract with Corizon Healthcare as a, as a psychotherapist for the prison. Um, so we'll talk about that probably tomorrow's program, but at any rate, um, they're talking about the House bill. 
and how it's the House. It just seems like the senators, the the Senate, uh, Greg Ever Greg Evers, and their Criminal Justice Committee. Um, we've been following them all, you know, all year, uh, all throughout last year, and, and the build up to all of this, and him visiting several prisons himself, um, calling in whistleblowers and calling in people to give testimony of what is going on, and uh, we're seeing all this kind of build up to this situation with the uh, the house, and I was a little bit surprised to find that the house took this position to take out the oversight. So 51-page prison reform bill intended to weed out abuse and corruption at the state's Trouble Corrections Agency has been whittled down to a modest 12 pages in the House amid quiet opposition from quiet opposition from Governor Rick Scott's administration. I mean, I don't know how quiet you can get when we send you a 51-page reform bill and you have 350 people dying in custody in one year. You've had four uh, corrections secretary or three secretaries in four years. You've had eight, seven and eight years. Your state depends on the private prisons and uh, prison slavery to generate revenues. You've got twenty five percent or so of uh, people of color in your state who are disenfranchised after a stay in the in the penitentiary system. I mean, you've got all of these issues going on. And you finally get some sort of uh, a bill sent to you that is looking to cut down on this corruption to try to start fixing the problem. And you take a 51-page bill and take it, trim it down to 12 pages and take out the biggest part of it that was even put in there to, to have an oversight board come in and, and help to manage what's going on. The House, bill, uh, House proposal abandons the Senate plan which was SB uh, 720, 7020, to require the agency to be held accountable to an oversight board, which would dilute the ability of the governor to have complete control over the agency. House leaders insisted in, uh, instead intend excuse me, to address the state's prison problems by increasing staffing levels. Oh, that's, sorry, that was me face-palming right there. So years ago, you cut the staff to make yourself look like you were a prison reformer. You you cut the staff back and you cut back the budget and you saved the state money. That was the plan. And in the wake of cutting the staff and so-called saving the state all this money and then bringing in private prisons and the private prisons can just cut and just have no staff to begin with. We've established that. The private prisons come in and take over a, a big chunk of the state prison load and, and it shows like how the state's ranks have, have lowered and the federal prisons in the state they sends people down there too and that shows the fans have lowered this is the process we've been showing you this is what they do and the private prisons never even hire enough staff and they always underpay people and this is what encourages the corruption tobacco's banned in the prison cell phones banned in the prison all sorts of contraband that's banned in the prison and the guards make a living off of supplying the contraband we heard from the state whistleblowers when they went to go speak to, to Senator uh, Evers' committee that people can make up to $1,000 for a pack of cigarettes. I am not joking with you. That was the testimony. How are you going to have people on staff, understaffed as it is, because we heard them speak before the city committee also, and then they said that there's supposed to be four people on a tier, two in the tower, one on each catwalk walking each side of the tier 
And currently, the people that came to testify said there's two people working each tier. One in the tower, one walking to both sides of the catwalk. And on most days, there's just one person and they just sit in the tower. So this is how you have people that have medical conditions that are in their cells who aren't being checked on. And 12 hours pass when a guy hasn't been breathing, you go back finally and find him dead. And then they lie on the reports and say, well, we checked them every four hours, like it said. But then you didn't check nothing because there was one person there. And that person was in the tower doing the Sudoku puzzle. Because they don't care about their job. They're making $20,000 a year, $22,000 a year, $24,000. Who's living off of that? So their response to bringing in oversight committee, which is just going to tell you everything that we've already heard, that's just going to point out everything. I mean, being on an oversight committee for the Department of Corrections in the state of Florida right now, you could go to the School of the Blind, the Florida State School of the Blind. Make them managers and then bring in the people from the School of the Deaf and have them go around and compile reports. You could not see and not hear as a matter of fact for a person living in this world and be able to come up with a, a book on what's going on in Florida to indict all them fools. So first thing they do, of course, is strike down the oversight. And, oh, no, we don't we don't need that. Our governor can handle it. Yeah, he can handle it. Right. Okay. All these secretaries later, all these deaths later. And they decided what they're going to do is increase staffing and provide more building repairs. And this is somewhat like the Arizona situation when the ACLU successfully, quote, unquote, sued the state of Arizona's Department of Corrections for the inmate deaths, deaths there and for the health care conditions there that were described by the investigators as being the worst living conditions that they had seen in their entire lives, surely in their professional careers. 30 years of being a medical professional, 40 years in the industry, and you get on this committee and you, you try to do your good works or whatever and you go in and you go investigate and you start seeing things that blow your mind. You've been living free and being a medical professional for 40 years and you get on one committee to go into the prisons and your mind is blown and your life has changed. People, this these t- sort of revelations should be affecting the direction of our nation. Okay, you and me, we're not medical professionals that work and go into these conditions and go see these things and we're not hardened to this and we're not a part of it and we're not benefiting from it and we're not shaking hands and being buddies and going along to get along and all of that. We're not in it. So we don't really have an opinion that should affect policy necessarily. Maybe we hear the news. Maybe you're a person, you listen to me and that's what you, so now you feel pissed. Okay, that's fine. But I'm just an individual. I'm not making any claims to be a medical professional. But when you have actual people that are are doctors and been in this thing for 30, 40 years, when you've got people that have been heads of boards and sat in the highest positions and worked with agencies and, I mean, have been out here, this is all they're known for. They've paid the price to be authorities in these fields. They've given their lives to it. You're not going to listen to some guy back on a from a tour in Afghanistan that tells you how to how to 
shoot somebody from a thousand yards or whatever. I mean, you're not going to think he's a, some kook. You're going to think this guy's a, a, a veteran. He knows what he's talking about. If he tells me he could kill somebody, I believe he could kill him. So when you listen to someone that's given 40 years to a career in the medical industry and they tell you outright, unapologetically, unabashed, no strings attached, no punches pulled, says to you, this is the absolute worst living conditions I have ever seen in my life. The worst medical care I've ever seen given to any human beings in my entire medical career of 40 years. You would think that the state of Arizona would have to do something more than say in the ACLU lawsuit. First and foremost, as terms of this agreement, we are going to say that we did not do anything wrong and we're not being found guilty of having done anything wrong. And secondly, as a, as a, a remedy to all that has been dis, uh, documented here, what we're going to do is go back to the House and Senate, just like we're talking about the Florida House and the Florida Senate. They're going back to the Arizona state legislators and asking for more money so they can hire more guards, so they can go back and do more training, because we think that's probably where where all of this where we fell you know fell apart. That's probably what it was. People, we gotta do, we gotta do better. We just gotta do better, man. It just gets to a point. You just gotta do better. We gotta do better. This is our. What are we doing for our kids? You wonder why the youth don't pay any attention to the, to the adults. You wonder why the youth are rebellious. And you call them being troublemakers, but the youth are the leaders of these movements that are out here in resistance right now. Do you wonder why the youth are looking at the elders with disdain, with disgust? Do you wonder why young people are walking around here not really paying much attention to what you got to say? Because you are complicit you are allowing this you are apparently fine with this for you as long as you got a new car all of this is really don't mean nothing to you for you as long as you can afford a nice handbag some red bottom shoes one or two pair and oh you're done for the year there's the there we can't even touch you no more we we can't hear from you anymore in any sort of a struggle movement now because you have to attend affairs and to be at parties and to be a part of the scene and to work with your sorors and work with your frat brothers and your activism is a pancake breakfast, a toy drive. Yes, I'm, I'm being real critical. I want somebody to come and tell me where I'm wrong. Arizona just got away with what Florida's about to get away with. See, when you know past behavior, you have a reasonable ability when you analyze it to predict future behavior. And when we see Arizona get off the hook with a, I don't even remember how many hundreds of millions of dollars of a lawsuit ACLU brought against the state of Arizona's Department of Corrections. It's not even as bad as Florida. In their response, in the, in the federal lawsuit, in the federal court, in front of federal judge, is we need to get some more money and hire some more people we didn't do anything wrong. Now make that part of the, the forever record to make sure that it says we didn't do nothing wrong. All this death, all of this depravity, all of this, that, that ain't us. They're in our care, but that's not us. They probably just did it to themselves. I don't know. I can't speculate. That's not my department. I don't get paid to speculate. I just, I'm just telling you we didn't do nothing wrong. 
But what we're going to do is go back to the state legislature and ask for more money. So here we see Florida before they even get a lawsuit. We need to increase funding. Ultimately, the governor is accountable for the actions of the secretary, and the secretary is accountable for the success of the department, said Carlos Trujillo of Miami, who's the chairman of the House Criminal Justice Committee. And they're still going to listen to the House's version again on uh, on this next coming Tuesday. Says if the department is a failure, they need to search for new leadership. No kidding. Trujillo said that while he agrees an oversight board could be productive, House leadership believes it could also create a layer, another layer of bureaucracy. So he considers the House bill to still be a work in progress. The Senate bill will be debated by the full Senate on Tuesday also. The House bill tracks the Senate bill word for word, but with major exceptions. It eliminates the independent oversight commission that would follow the model of several other states. And the Florida Department of Transportation itself has an oversight commission. Where Julie Jones just came from. A Florida Corrections Commission that would hold agency officials accountable for prison budgets, discipline, and investigation. That's what they need, but that's what they're being denied. The House plan also removes the requirement that the Department of Corrections Secretary report to both the governor and the cabinet. It removes the Senate plan to clarify inmate grievance rights as well as a plan to allow the commission staff to conduct unannounced inspections of all prisons, including those operated by private prison contractors. It removes additional oversight of prison medical care and more transparent reporting of use of force by prison guards against inmates. I hope you are hearing this and understanding what is going on. This is why we can't have nice things, as they say. This is it. You're seeing why we can't have a society that's worth a damn. They don't know it because they're not necessarily reading this and understanding what's being said here. But like I said, the youth can smell our fear, can smell our apathy. That's what's wrong with the youth. The youth aren't just disrespectful and just hate people and just don't care and are irresponsible. The youth can see clearly that the adults aren't doing anything. The youth can see that the adults aren't worth anything. When this is what the adults are doing. How are you going to teach the youth about respect and responsibility and getting your education and being a person of integrity, being a leader, being a righteous individual, seeking truth and justice? How are you going to teach the youth these things and you won't uphold them yourself? You won't fight for them yourself. You will passively allow for these people to be in positions of power over you and in positions of authority that dictates legislation and policy, budgets, People, the biggest budgets in your state right now, I challenge you to Google for yourself whatever state you're in. And I promise you, the biggest budget in your state, or at least in the top five, if you got anybody that hears this, that that, that your budget of your state, one of the top five items is not your state's Department of Corrections, please contact me and tell me I'm wrong. I want to be wrong. I want to not be right on that but I'm pretty sure that if you would just google your state's department your state's budget over your state's budget for education transportation infrastructure 
you're going to see your state's Department of Corrections budget is one of the biggest budgets on the freaking books. So I would think that it would behoove you to begin to take these matters seriously because that's where your money's going. We've already talked about Ferguson, America on a, on a smaller scale. Your city is run by the incarceration complex. When you've got cities where the only other revenue generator is the sales tax. What else do they got to get money from? Traffic, municipal violations and driving up the fees and driving up court costs and extra fines and ringing people out. Ferguson is not an anomaly. Florida is showing you that even on the state level, the prisons is the is the money maker. The prisons is where they, is where they're getting down at. And they're not getting ready to step on the prison's toes. They just told you in the house that they do not want you as an elected official to be able to walk into any into any prison and inspect what's going on there unannounced they do not want you to be able to see what private prison contractors are doing that's what they're telling you who elected these people who in Florida said you know what we want we don't want you checking out what's going on now, yeah we know there's been 350 deaths we've seen the website we went to the to the Florida Department of Corrections website and saw the inmate mortality tab we checked that out we saw there's a lot of people dying man a lot of open investigations man we <sighs> oof yeah we saw but what we're thinking is what we don't want you to do is to go inspect that we don't we don't really want anybody looking into that especially not the private prisons man they just leave those guys alone we don't want to we don't want to bother them they've been successfully sued in several states for wrongful deaths and abuses but just leave them be you know we just, we don't need to check that out what the hell is going on That should be the number one priority of the people in the state. If we don't do anything else right here, what we're going to do is get to the bottom of this prison problem and stop this forever. We're going to end it now. We're going to figure out what's wrong. We're going to root out the people. We're going to bring them up on criminal charges and throw them in the prisons. And then we're going to start working on taking down our 100,000 person ranks. We're going to start reducing that because over 50% of those people we already know didn't even commit any kind of violent crime and because of multi, because of mandatory minimums which oh yeah we did some reform we, we removed the mandatory minimums we replaced that with multipliers piecemealed mandatory minimums seriously so you got a stack connected it goes yay high, but it, the way you're going to fix that is to, it's like Legos. You're going to just take them all apart and string them together, but they're not connected, so it's not it's not the same. It's not as big. It was 10 years mandatory minimum for this particular crime, but now we're going to take multipliers and then take all the factors that made the mandatory minimum 10 years and just make the multipliers add up to 10 years. That's not reform. <laughs> am I the only person? Am I, am I crazy? You haven't fixed anything. And here we're seeing, we're watching, we are witnessing the state of Florida actively not fixing anything. 
Where do you think that's going to lead to if you don't fix it? You and me are in a boat. And we both see the hole and the water's coming in. And we start arguing about whether we're going to use our hands or we're going to use this cup. And the cup's got a hole in it. And I'm missing three fingers. How are we going to start getting water out the boat? And we're going to sit here and argue about, am I going to use my hands that can't hold water or are you going to use this cup that can't hold water? But the boat's taking on water. What do you think is going to happen to us in that boat? I, I wonder sometimes why this is not, you don't have to be passionate about it like I am. You don't have to be trying to be on new abolitionist radio. You don't have to be out here, but you do have to vote with an informed purpose and a demand behind it. You do have, you have a responsibility to have conversations with your coworkers, your family, your friends. You do have a responsibility to be that person that people just know, man, this guy, He's always talking this stuff. And you have a responsibility to compel people that it's in the best interest of our community that you care about these kind of things. It's just to that point. We're not to the point where this is special interest. This is everybody's interest. And damn it, I deserve a country better than this. And if it takes you getting up and getting started to work on it, you better get to work because you see what the alternative is. You're listening to the Abolitionist Daily. This is Johan and Elia. We'll be right back. You are tuned in to the Black Talk Radio Network for live programming schedules. Visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. And we are back. This is the Abolitionist Daily. This is Johan and Elia. Let me give out the phone number because I'm talking kind of tough. So maybe somebody, maybe somebody's taking issue with what I've said. Love to hear from you. Area code 712-775-7035. The access code is 367526-POUND. Hit star six and then one and you can comment on this program. Please tell me where we're missing the ball. Missing the boat, missing the real truth and the reality of the situation about Florida. Please help me to understand how Florida is going to fix its problems with its prisons by eliminating oversight, by denying investigation, by denying unannounced visits to see what's going on in the prisons and the, the, the taxpayers own and even the private prisons that the taxpayers still fund tell me how adding more guards subject to the gang culture themselves in fact encouraging and in many cases introducing the gang culture the gang doctrine to the prison environment encouraging separation between the races Encouraging gang affiliation and gang solidarity within the prisons. How is adding guards when you haven't prosecuted any of the criminals that have killed people? We'll just start from murdering people and just go down from there. The torture and the, the, the rape, denying medical care, bad treatment, violent, 
handling. I mean, all these things are just come down the line after that. But the, the, the main thing being that you haven't criminally prosecuted any of these people. What's the point of bringing in more guards? So you think bringing in more $24,000 a year, basically unhirable individuals in other fields, out of luck, down on their luck, former veterans, and this is going to fix it? In a culture that's, that's messed up because of the violence? The lack of humanity? That's going to fix it? Is to, is to hire more people that are themselves suffering? And know that they're going into a culture that is not going to be disciplined. There's no oversight. You're saying that right off the bat. You're not going to really check into any of this or make sure anything happens. So we'll probably visit some of this again on uh, tomorrow's program because I want to also talk about George Malincrot's, uh discussion with Julie Jones, uh, Secretary of DOC. And also, you know, George is very deeply involved with uh, talking with the families of inmates. So he's always a person that's got, you know, dozens of, of testimonies of, you know, families and what they deal with to just be in contact with their loved ones. And the treatment of the family is atrocious. See, there's nothing really about this situation that speaks to when you know the scope of it, when you're looking at it from several different perspectives, there's nothing about it that looks like uh, they're trying to fix anything. It is actively negative. It is actively abusive. They may be saying a few things that may sound okay, but they are actively abusing people and treating people poorly, and they are not making plans for changing things down there that's going to limit the deaths. If anything, they're just going to go to greater lengths to hide the bad news. So we're probably going to continue discussing this a little bit more in depth. Um, but I want to move to the Free Alabama Movement and um, their latest communication. Spokesperson Ray reached out to uh, to the Move to Abolish 21st Century Slavery groups, uh, the Ida B. Wells Coalition, um, against mass incarceration, prison slavery. These are groups that I'm a part of, um, obviously the new abolitionist movement. So we get these communications from time to time. The Free Alabama Movement is, of course, in solidarity with the Free Mississippi Movement. Um, a lot of the same people, uh, same families. Um, again, these are our communities, folks. So this is not just some random blabbering, whatever. These are communities. These are the people. You want to know where the 70% of black children born in, out of wedlock and the 70% of black children raised in single-parent homes and the 70% of black people are just bad. Or, I mean, all these ridiculous. You want to know where those statistics are? I'm telling you where they are. I'm speaking to the statistics. You want to know where the 1 in 13 disenfranchised, never again able to vote because they got a felony black folks is at? I'm talking to them. I'm telling you what they've got to say. See, instead of voting, this is what they've come up with to affect change. Since they can't vote, and since voting fixes everything, they're compelled to take direct action. Would you like to be a part of taking direct action to make change? If you if you vote and you take direct action, we should have a good country set up here in the, in the, not by tomorrow. 
If you would vote and if you would take some direct action, we could fix all this overnight, right? Let's get serious about what, about what's going on. If direct, if voting works, then you should be able to put it with something like this. And man, I would love to go off the air tomorrow. I would love it. Please set me free. You don't want to hear what I'm talking about? Let's fix the problems. I got a life. I got a woman. I got ch- I got children. I don't spend enough time with my sons. I don't spend enough time with my woman. I don't spend enough time working out. I don't spend enough time doing all kind of other stuff that would make me better as an individual because I'm always involved in this because our society is falling apart. It's probably going to come down to a point where I'm going to have to go Rambo and just take care of me and mine. And, you know, I'll be all about working out then. And they'll get all my attention then when we got to look out for each other's backs and protect ourselves because we got the last food. We got the last water rations and complete chaos breaks out because this, what we living in, cannot be sustained. Simple as that. There is no intelligent person on the planet that would sit up here and tell you truthfully that what we're living in can be sustained. These are unprecedented historical numbers of people being thrown into prisons. You've got to get past the point where you just don't give a damn because if you didn't want to go to prison, you shouldn't have committed a crime. That cannot continue to be your response to millions and millions of people. This is a huge percentage of the population disappearing, becoming disenfranchised, being thrown completely off the track of being able to have a productive life. And it extends from the Fergusons, the municipal terrorism, the local city level of terrorism all the way up to the big prison terrorism you're talking about tens and tens of millions of people caught in the mix not able to really be free not able to really live black codes do not walk along parallel to railroad tracks if you are black that is a law you're going to jail Mike Brown stop for walking in the middle of the street a little side street that ain't even a main street, a little side street that only leads into his apartment complex. Cop enforcing a black law. 99% of jaywalking tickets given to people of color. Black codes. And as we've expanded it to state to state, city to city, we showed you 15 states that basically have debtor's prisons in place, debtors prison laws in place, leading people on a municipal violation track to the local jail, to the state prison. We've already discussed that. We've told you about the school to prison populations and the pipeline that is packed full of our children. So when we tell you what the people say, that are already caught in the system and already have nothing left to lose and they're telling you what is the best thing to do to cripple the beast see they're on the inside we believe as a group of people on the outside as people of color black folks still believe to this day Obama is what we need we're going to get us a black person and get them on the inside and then they can fix the problems from inside We believe the spook who sat by, beside the door type of men. If this guy can learn everything about the operation, get inside the operation, then he can help us dismantle the operation from the inside. 
But see, that was a book. Rest in peace, Sam Greenlee. That was a, that was made into a movie. We still ain't seen no spooks sitting by the door that was doing nothing for us. There's a whole bunch of spooks and coons and toms and puppets and proxies and, and all this. But no black liberation operators. So here's the next best thing. People that have already paid the price, that have already lost their lives, that have nothing left to lose, they just don't want to be killed in prison. So from the Free Alabama Movement, in order to stop the school-to-prison pipeline, we have to bring our youth into the movement and attack the economic facilitators who finance this pipeline. We all know in the 16s and 1700s, slavery took off in America. The British Crown and other foreign companies financed the slave transport systems that helped to ship millions of men, women, and children of African descent around the world for forced slave labor. Also victimized by these slave traders were the native inhabitants of North and South America. In 2015, slavery continues on around the world, and particularly in America, in the front of mass incarceration for prison slavery. The companies that now invest in the transport of men, women, and children, predominantly of African descent and native inhabitants and Mexicans, are familiar names like McDonald's, Wendy's, Dell Computers, uh, Corrections Corporation of America, the GO Group, U.S. Military, Victoria's Secret, AT&T, Walmart, and so much more. But instead of shipping human cargo from the continent of Africa, the U.S. slave market now ships directly from predominantly black inner cities, communities, and other poor communities inhabited by Africans, blacks, Mexicans, natives, and poor people. As we've told you before, you are in a domestic colony. As we've told you before, there is no longer a need for a transatlantic slave trade. That's why it was dismantled. There's a tipping point. There's a point of no return. These are, these are terms that give you a, a, a mental picture, an idea of when you're moving towards something. It's like the old seesaw, the teeter-totter. You put enough weight on one side or the other to unbalance it, and one is going to be heavier than the other. You're going to tip it. It's like climbing a, a, a mountain. You reach the po you reach the point, the peak, and now there's only downhill to go from there. Critical mass. Several different ways to describe the same thing. The point of no return. When you left from point A, you were going to point B. There was a point from point A, just beyond midway to point B that was the point of no return because it was further for you to turn and go back than it would be for you to just keep going forward. All of these should be things that help you to see why the transatlantic slave, uh, slave trade was no longer needed because they got to a point where there were enough Africans in country that they didn't need to ship anymore in country. The market didn't even have a need there was no valuation. It didn't. It wasn't economically feasible to continue to go and capture and kidnap and transport Africans on boats for months at a time, and all of the costs associated with that to bring them here to market to get the the market for new slaves was less than the market value of existing slaves that were procreating and creating new slaves bred in country. Foreign slaves weren't bringing the money that domestic slaves were bringing, plus the training. They're now indigenous. Now they speak the language. We, we don't need to go get these new slaves and train them. <clears throat> Excuse me. John Locke, back in 1550-something, 
since the first recorded recorded expedition to Ghana to go get those Africans and then bring them back and then he taught them to speak the language and then he took them back so they could be his interpreters and his slave interviewers and, and recruiters see from 1550 to whenever the last slave ships stopped coming to shore here that was a couple hundred years they didn't need to keep going getting new ones they was over here raping the women and making plenty of them and making the people mate and make new ones and raising up their own and it's just cheaper if I got a male and I got a female and I make them do it until they make me five babies I'm not waiting on the slave ship to come bring me five new I got five new I can do whatever I want with them so just understand that that's what ended it the transatlantic slave trade not any kind of goodwill no laws no good Christian kindness there was no morals that was suddenly that people started developing they didn't need it it was a market it was a money value the valuation of foreign slaves was less than and the cost it wasn't a cost effective business to be in it costs you $300 to bring each one of them over here so you need about six or $700 at market and when you get here and you find out that they're selling the ones that they already got on the plantation for $400 a piece you can't possibly sell a $700 slave So instead of shipping human cargo from the continent of Africa, the U.S. slave market now ships directly from predominantly black inner cities. I don't know how else to tell you if you still don't believe it. I don't know how to, if you, I guess it's to the point where if you're telling this stuff to people and they still are incredulous, they don't want to hear it, they can't believe it, whatever, then do the old shake the dust off your feet thing. I don't know. I'm not going to tell anybody to do anything violent, but it's just ridiculous that we still are at this point where it's just hard for people to see this and understand this and they just don't want to accept it if the dismantling of communities was something that was not working to perfection they would have developed a new method to go about doing it but it's the fact that the system in place now works so well at destroying these communities that they're going to continue to propagate this In response to all of this, the Free Alabama Movement has developed a six-step plan of action of 2015. And step three of this plan involves strategizing around the economic factors of the pipeline and targeting companies one at a time, starting with McDonald's, who was involved in this modern slave train. Follow the money and watch the clown. Just like all other issues in American society, in order to overstand the problem and to understand the solution, all you have to do is follow the money. As we said, McDonald's is just one of many thousands of companies that profit off of prison slave labor in our mcdonald's research group the free alabama and free mississippi united against mcdonald's group we show where mcdonald's uses prison slave labor to produce products like uniforms spoons frozen foods processing beef for patties also processing bread milk and chicken products McDonald's and all and other companies benefit from prison labor because they reduce labor costs by employing people in prison for either free or penny slave wages. There is no minimum wage. There's no overtime. There's no earned vacation. There's no sick time. There's no 401k contribution. There's no maternity leave. There's no health insurance. There's nothing. And anyone who refuses to work is met with paperwork that will affect their release. 
It will result in the loss of visits for, with family and children, results in threats, and even actual violence by the prison guards. Ronald McDonald and his friends in corporate America invest in and profit from the school-to-prison pipeline as follows. Companies like McDonald's invest in or build prison factories to produce their goods like uniforms, patties, spoons, frozen food, etc. They build facilities in prisons to produce these products, but they won't build these same factories in our communities to provide jobs. Then these companies build most of their storefronts outside of our communities and deny jobs to people from our communities, including those of us with felony convictions who need a job to stay out of prison. This is how they manufacture unemployment, which inevitably leads to crime. Finally, after denying us a job in society, Ronald McDonald and his corporate buddies also invest in prison slave labor, who also invest in prison slave labor, wait for the men and the women to get caught up in mass incarceration and for the school-to-prison pipeline. Once they have us in prison, they force us to work for them in their prison factories for free. A solution to ending the school-to-prison pipeline and ending mass incarceration for prison slavery is we can solve this school-to-prison pipeline by dismantling the economic incentive for the pipeline. None of these problems would exist if they weren't making money off of them. So in order to uproot the problem, we must we have to attack it at the economic core. We have to organize at the companies like McDonald's one at a time who are investing in these practices to expose these slave traders for what they really are and force them to stop investing in prison slavery. Our strategic and tactical approach to this step three initiative is laid out in our article, which is titled Let the Crops Rot in the Field, which we read here on New on uh, Abolitionist Daily whenever it first came out. And I'll put the link up to it again on the Abolitionist, uh, Abolitionist Daily Facebook page. I will put that link back out in all of the groups and all the social media outlets that I'm a part of administrating and contributing to because you need to get this information and spread this information. We've got to pick something to get behind. This is very targeted. And anytime you have a corporation that's bringing in $30,000 a day, thereabouts, in areas specific to people of color, we don't have to worry about what effect will we have if we stop shopping at Walmart. Walmart typically is in everybody's community. So if we just leave then Walmart will still be shopped at by everybody else other than black folks. But in the black neighborhoods, for a fact, I know what it looks like in my city. I know what it looks like when I lived in North Carolina, when I lived in Los Angeles and Dallas. And when I live in these cities and I've seen where the black communities are and you see these McDonald's stores, you know where the black McDonald's is, and you know if Negroes stop going in there, that damn store is going to be going out of business before the weekends. Under no uncertain terms, if you stop going there, they don't have anybody else going there. What, they get five white people come in at lunchtime or something that just randomly drive through? Yes, it's going to affect the people who have jobs there. Yes, it is. The people that have jobs there are already being affected by the prison industrial complex. I can almost guarantee you. You ask those children that work there, you ask those people that work there, raise your hands. If somebody in your family is incarcerated, you're going to see nine out of ten hands raised. And if we're not teaching them to do something other than go out and buy Jordans with their $100 checks, save up their checks, if we're not working with them in some other capacity to help them bring an end to this oppression, then what are they, what are the checks going to anyway? Supporting white supremacy? The larger scope of this one vein that is feeding it, the prison industrial complex? Modern day slavery? 
So yeah, it's gonna suck. It's gonna be some people who lose their jobs or be in jeopardy of their jobs if they really do put pressure on McDonald's for this. But they're all potential victims right now going and coming from work. Look at Ferguson. You think all the people who worked at McDonald's there was given a pass? All of them under the same municipal terrorism. Trying to go to and from McDonald's to go to that little funky job. It's going to cost, I told you before, abolitionism is not just attacking the Constitution's 13th Amendment. Abolitionism is not just attacking legislative end of this thing. Abolitionism involves us confronting our neighbors, our friends, our loved ones, ourselves in any way that we are benefiting from, profiting from, supporting the system of mass incarceration, which is actually modern-day slavery. Did you think that the rubber was not going to meet the road at some point? It's going to hurt, but it's going to get better. We'll start with, uh, we will start off our McDonald's protest by locating and reaching out to the people and the persons where McDonald's products are produced. At the same time, we will begin letter writing campaigns to their investors and shareholders while also leaving leaflets, pamphlets on the cars of their customers in McDonald's restaurants nationwide and organize protests at their storefronts, in malls, at headquarters, or wherever we can and call for boycotts of their stores to force them to stop using products that are manufactured by forced prison slave labor. But we focus all of our attention on one corporation at a time instead of using a scattered approach of multiple organizations spread out thinly over several corporate fronts. In the end, McDonald's and their corporate partners have a choice to make. Stop investing in the school-to-prison pipeline by building factories and prisons to fuel mass incarceration for prison slavery and start building those same factories in the neighborhoods where unemployment is high, where their prison slaves are even coming from. That's what you do when you talk about cutting the jobs out when you worry about that store that has 35 employees in it and they're all people of color and a lot of them are teens and youths and a lot of them are single moms or college students or whoever's struggling however they're struggling because most of the people working there are struggling somehow that's how you combat it that's what you tell them look do you want to work here where they support prison slavery where they encourage the legislation that puts more and more of people like you in jail where they would never let go of this tit this producing good wholesome milk for them they eat off of you you're not getting anything out of the situation do you want to just go along with the flow and keep it going like that or do you want to fight and do you want to force them into a situation where they have to let go of the slave labor and actually build those factories in your same community you want to work at this store flipping burgers or do you want to work at a factory that produces the uniforms for the people to flip burgers that would be a promotion for you you could come up McDonald's is not going anywhere, obviously, so that would be pretty much a career job, wouldn't it? If you got to work in a factory that produced the plasticware that went out to McDonald's stores all over the world, wouldn't that be a good position to have? A person could put in 25, 30 years. Relatively light factory labor, making a good living with health insurance, with a 401k. See, that's what you have to show people, paint the picture of what could be for them. And what they're being denied. Some of them should get pissed off because, damn, I didn't even realize they did this to me. I could have had a real job. You still can. Feel the wrath of the people until we close these storefronts down. They're exploiting us by taking the money that we spend with your with your company to build prison factories while at the same time denying us unemployment. The men and the women on the inside have to stand up against these practices and stand up to protect our children. On the inside, we have to organize work strikes to stop producing these products. 
We have to strike to shut down these prison factories that were built for us in prison, but not in our communities. We have to remove this revenue from the prison budgets and put additional economic pressure on the budget to release us. See, they're not releasing people because it's making them money. We told you Kamala Harris sued to keep people in prison because they're making profit in fighting fires. We told you about Boston. The going rate was $30 an hour to hire individuals to come and help shovel the snow. They didn't get enough of a response from the individuals, so they went back to their old standard that they've been using for years, taking people out of prisons and forcing them into slave labor of shoveling the snow. And I can guarantee you it ain't for no $30 an hour, 30 cents an hour maybe. And they're not going to reduce the ranks in these prisons across the country because this is the way that they're adding money to their bottom line. And then when we look at Florida, when they say that what they're going to do to stop the corruption and stop the abuse is ask for more tax dollars. When you look at Arizona, and they've been successfully sued by one of the leading human rights organizations we even have in this country. And the response is, we're going to go back to the state and ask for the more taxpayer dollars. Do you see how you're getting it coming and going? You don't get the job. You get the tax burden. They're not going to let people out because they make money off those people. People, you don't have a solution outside of abolitionism. Do you concede to that fact that you do not have a solution outside of abolitionism? We're not trying to subjugate you or force you into believing things. I'm presenting the facts to you. I'm giving you the word from the people inside the prison. We can't get out of these prisons because we are worth so much money to these people. And I'm telling you on the legislative side what they're telling you. We're not letting nobody out because we can't afford to let nobody out. And we're not going to make any real reforms because we can't afford to let nobody come in here and see what we're doing. Man, it's a problem, man. It's a problem. It's a serious problem all the way around. We're getting, we getting it, man. And I need y'all to be serious about paying attention to this. I really do. We got some serious issues going on. So I will, uh, Put all this information again on the, on the Abolitionist Daily page. I'll make sure that you all have access to everything that we discussed today. Peace to the abolitionists. Death to these oppressors. We will be back tomorrow. Come out. Ryan here and I have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper 
a woohooer, a hand clap, or a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.